Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of cattle, the show of UFOs, Mescal, Durango, Coahuila, Torreon, a bunch of different things that I learned in this episode. It was such a joy speaking with the founder and owner of Ultramundo Mescal from Durango, Sergio Garnier. I mean, he's got French, he's got Mexican background. We talk about all this stuff. The Son del Silencio, someone correct me, Son el Silencio. The National Park in Durango, where NASA had an incident. This is a piece of history I never knew anything about that Sergio caught me up on. It's amazing, a mezcal made from 100% Lamparillo from Sergio's ranch. A lot of talk about cattle, the family business, music, and so much more. And this is a testament to the closeness of the mezcal community. I wouldn't have met Sergio if it hadn't been for Lou Bank, who did an intro via text. We hung out in Austin, had some great mezcal, and had a great time. So without further ado, I hope you all enjoy this great chat with Sergio Garnier of Ultramundo Mezcal. For me, like it took me there. It was kind of obvious. Yeah. But before I was an agave nerd. Were you really? Like I really into were really into mezcal and yeah. and I had like the good luck of and ending up doing it now as a as a job. I can't say for a living because still <laughs> not, but I'm hoping maybe this year or the next one to at least make it break even and yeah. keep doing this job that I love. Did you have a moment where I think everybody has like this kind of moment where they try some kind of agave spirit, maybe it's so tall, but mezcal for me particularly that you tried something and you're like, Oh shit, this is like this is going to change my perspective about spirits. Yeah, yeah. Well, in in Mexico, and we don't have that much, at least in Torreón where I live, mm-hmm. we don't have that much like cool bars with these amazing agave programs where yeah. you are exposed to all these different expressions. They are beginning to pop up now. In Actually, in Torreón, there are two nice places, two really? nice galerias. That oh, are, that's cool. Yeah, yeah if I come down, you friends. Yeah, you yeah. should really try them. But then I remember the first time I tried mezcal, it was like, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago mm-hmm. at a music festival. Oh, yeah. It was a shitty one. But I remember, what's this? That what? And I really liked the smokiness, uh-huh. you know, the different, like, but the balls on it. And yeah. it was like, okay. And from there I began. And then I found out that 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 was just one sort of kind of mezcal. Sure. But then I figured out all this complexity, all these regions, and I just... Got into the rabbit hole. Do you uh, well, two things. One, what what festival was it? Do you remember? It was it was a small local festival in Torreon. Oh, okay, Waco, okay. Waco Fest, something like, like kind of like more more local bands, or yeah. Bands. And then the second thing is when you because I I think to to be business minded you have to you were talking about Dalton right? So Dalton yeah. was sitting in that exact chair a couple weeks ago, <laughs> and I could tell that he could pick things apart uh, the the details right. And when you think about mezcal and you think about the regions, you think about the different kinds of distillation. I mean, especially in Durango, it's different than it is in like San Luis Potosí. It, does that part of it interest you too? Like the the, the broad landscape, like the different yes. ways that people make a, make mezcal. Is that appealing to you? So from the governor perspective, yeah. that blows my mind. From the producer perspective or brand owner perspective, I want to focus on Durango. Mm-hmm. I want to just by by now at least at this moment focus on what's been done in durango and, Ch- and chihuahua mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because where i am la laguna it's neighbor with these areas actually uh, we're part of part of the city i was explaining to you yeah, before it's yeah. kind of sort la laguna one part of the city it's a big city composed by three different other states. That's different really cities cool. some of them in coahuila some of them in durango mm-hmm. torreon is where i live that is in the coahuila part but the ranch is in durango mm-hmm. So right now I'm really interested in getting as deep as I, because I don't come from mezcal. I, I'm not a third, fourth generation mezcal producer. Right. So I really want to get to know what Durango is doing and, and then 
go and look other like i i enjoy i love going to oaxaca i'm going there in september oh, but good. for me it's just first knowing what i have around me what my region produces mm -hmm. and and then going from there is there any kind of history i know i've had a couple sotoles that are made in coahuila but is there any history of agave distillation in coahuila that you know of yeah i think there is uh, i i'm not sure and i i don't wanna but i i, I have no idea definitely sotol yeah because the only agave that grows in this area is Lamparillo that mm -hmm, I know. Mm -hmm. Well, not in the Coahuila, but in the Laguna part. Yeah. And Sotoleros prefer to distill Sotol, Sotol yeah. because, and, and then I find out why, because Lamparillo is so tough to work with. Mm -hmm. It's lower in, in sugar content than Sotol. Which is crazy to think. So from the business perspective, I guess it's, it's more convenient to, to distill Sotol mm -hmm. than Lamparillo. And not everywhere you find Lamparillo, and sometimes Lamparillo doesn't even make it to maturity. They they throw the Quixote prematurely because of the tough desert conditions. Mm. So I, I I believe we have like a microclimate in in our ranch mm -hmm. that actually allows the Lamparillo to thrive, and and because the Lamparillo that I found in the, the parts of Coahuila closer to the Laguna region are just smaller and I never seen and and the kiotes I mm -hmm. see is from smaller plants that really obviously are like prematurely kioting that's mm -hmm. what I'm assuming that's, that's yeah that's really fascinating I mean the, the thing is because I was looking at kind of your history as I do before any, any interviews and we had some time to kind of sip mezcales and stuff um, on Tuesday but it feels like to me you've always been a pretty ambitious guy relatively intelligent that your family had maybe some success in agriculture and all of that, but you've studied quite a bit. Like, did you feel like you needed to keep studying, get more degrees, speak French, speak English? You know, is that something that's in you to keep thriving and succeeding like that? So thank you. <laughs> and yeah, like, for example, three years ago, I was thinking about doing an MBA and, and you know, keep educating myself. Mm -hmm. But right now I'm in the point where I want to educate myself in agave, right? In agave yeah. production, and so yeah, I had the I had the chance to go to uh, you know a, a good school. Uh, I went to business school, mm -hmm. Tec de Monterrey in Torreon. Uh, I uh, my major is international business, so I had the opportunity to spend a semester in Toulouse for an exchange program. Yeah, amazing. One in Vancouver where I did the marketing um, certificate, and that's giving me many tools. To actually make this project or or improve my chances of, of being successful at this project and put all that knowledge into a product and right. you know introducing it to the US market because that has been the goal since since the beginning. For me it was yeah. very clear. The well there's been another kind of undercurrent too that's that's I think been part of your work life and your education because you were working with was it like an animals pharmaceutical suitable yeah. company in probably in Quebec maybe or is it in Vancouver I, I did an intern yeah, yeah. In, in the Quebec area uh, with one of the companies we work with so my father is a vet mm -hmm. my father founded uh, the his own small business uh, he began as a practitioner and then he began uh, trading uh, pharmaceuticals uh -huh. uh, medicines vaccines and then actually i was so that that business began in sinaloa when i was born oh okay yeah. I but love then this. i so the story i know is that my parents were waiting for me to 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 be born to yeah. move to torreon because both families of my mother and father's side were living in torreon oh, i see so we moved back to torreon and my father founded the business torreon or the laguna region is the main dairy production cluster of, of for Mexico really so we produce like 70% of the milk that that is drunk I had no idea in, in all Mexico yeah so that that really made my father business boom we focused on that uh, and they say we because for my whole professional career before getting to Mezcal I was working in 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 the farms as a basically medical service health mm. service provider for the for the farmers Wow. Uh, basic, uh, mainly dairy farms and also feedlots and some extensive farming, farming, some uh, poultry, but mainly dairy. That that's our main uh, uh, business Next specialty. Yeah, specialty. What can, so, 
And then my father had the opportunity to become a farmer or a cattleman himself. Okay, okay. So that's what brought us to having the ranch where now uh, we have the agave well, and, and that. And which is that, which we were talking about that, of course. But the, something I found from, for whatever reason, I've been talking about species of cow with my Japanese friend, Risa-san. Because <laughs> I would, she's, you know, she's a native Japanese speaker. And, yeah, breeds. Yeah, breeds. And I, so I said, well, what does Wagyu mean? She's like, oh, it means this. And she, she writes the symbols out. I'm like, that's fascinating. It's like, what does Kobe mean? And it's something like uh, God's chamber or something for Kobe. Wow. Did you know that? I had I no idea. Know. I'm like, okay, cool. What does that mean? <laughs> like, why would that be the name? I'm more familiar with the breeds that we have in, in, in Mexico. Yeah. And most of the breeds come after the name where they were, for example, we work a lot with French breeds. Uh -huh. So we had the Montpellier. We have the Charolais. No kidding. We have the Holstein. I actually don't know where that name comes from, but I think it's German. I, mm -hmm. I have no idea. And But that's the main, like most of the dairy farms are Holstein because that's the top milk producer I see. breed. And but I found that list of breeds that the, the, yeah. the family offers and stuff. I was like, this is, it was a very diverse group of yeah, cattle. It's, it's like dogs. Yeah. Like, yeah, you have a big, big range and they look super different. You know, they, they do. I mean, they're. I mean, I love cat. You know, I'm not a vegetarian, but I quite like cows. I get they're very nice animals. And in the production angle, each breed is good for. So there are some breeds that are better for beef, mm -hmm. for milk, uh, or for certain weathers or for certain conditions. They thrive better. Interesting. So, yeah, that's great. Did, did your connection to because you studied in Toulouse? You said for for like a semester. semester I did a sem did, semester. Did, did that French connection have anything to do with the the cattle having French roots, or was it kind of? Yeah. So, so my great grandfather was French. Yeah. And also, my father began the business working mainly with French companies. Oh. So we we're representing some French companies in in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And also that took me to, when I did the semester in Toulouse, I also did an internship in, in, in one of the French companies we represent in, ah. in Mexico. They gave me the opportunity to spend, you know, a summer internship just, so I planned that way and been exposed to French culture since, you know, because of the, yeah. you know, the family. And it, you're just your father's side is French, your mother's side is? No, it's just my father. And actually it was just my great grandfather uh -huh. that migrated to Mexico after World War Two. Wow. And but from there it's just hundred percent Mexican, right? Yeah, hundred percent Mexican. Yeah, well, there's a little that, bit of French that, that happened to have like a French last name. And, yeah. yeah, what? Where did your? You said great grandfather or grandfather? Great grandfather. Where did he settle in Mexico when he came? I think it was in Estado de Mexico. Oh, okay, with Chapan, mm -hmm. and then Mexico City, I think, mm -hmm. and then went back to France. Oh, yeah, interesting. And and, and he was killed, I think, and then my great-grandmother remarried uh, and most of the french heritage was lost wow that's fascinating yeah. man like i can't track my stuff back <laughs> that's like, that's what i know yeah and, but that's still cool though. and i hope my if my relatives and, and my, my brother is very invested now in, with with now this how do you how do you call this my heritage yeah, thing yeah, like yeah, tracking yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. back and genealogy he's putting together the puzzle i have no idea and to be honest i'm i'm not interested like yeah i, I have too many other things to <laughs> To worry about at this point but i, I think there's something that, that you know we were talking about because i love music and you, you love music do you find yourself okay this uh, this is how i'll ask it actually because i know we will talk about bands of course but do you find yourself to be more analytical in your outputs in business or do you find yourself to be more creative well that's a great question i think i tend to be more analytical mm. but from time to time also, I, I, for example, this, I'm really happy with this project because it really allows me to let that creative uh, part of me flow. Yeah, And absolutely. also there's this side of me. So, but I think I lean more into the analytical mm -hmm. side, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when we get the opportunities, because we were talking when you got here earlier and I was like, I just need to create. That's the only thing that makes me feel like I'm alive, yeah. you know, but one thing that I think, and I hope you had a lot of input on it, but the Ultramundo, like the design on this is beautiful. The label looks good. Thank you know you. what I mean? And Appreciate so it. was this, you, you must have had a lot of input on how this should look and feel, right? Yeah, I had a lot of input. Actually, the artist is 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 called, is named like me, Sergio, Luis Sergio. Mm -hmm. 
stage name El Mascara. <laughs> so when I was beginning this project, I didn't have any budget at all. It began as a hobby, uh -huh. like as a, yeah, just let's see what happens. So I didn't have the means to actually go to a real, you know, marketing right. uh, yeah. company to make all the branding, naming. So I did the naming. I had the ideas and the concept and and Luis Sergio Mascara really captured what I had in my mind. Like, and I think he great he did a great, great job. I'm really happy with the you, result. It, oh yeah, it looks great. And I love that the, the so kind of for, for us it was showcasing the Sona del Silencio uh -huh. where we come from. So and we didn't want a square uh, label. Yeah, yeah. And we we were not able because of the volume and you know the budget part, we're not able to come up with a with a mold, with a, a with a bottle, with them, a custom yeah. model. So yeah. we, we'll have to go with a, yeah, for Stock the standard. Uh -huh. And then, but we were like, let's get crazy with the label to di really differentiate mm -hmm. ourselves and really showcase. For me, so he's a really talented illustrator. Mm. So for me, it was illustrate Sona del Silencio and showcase it in the label in a very like crazy, like, and, and the species, but at the same time, like real. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's did you did you have any besides capturing the essence of the place, which is really important? Did you have any other kind of stylistic inspiration? Something that you maybe saw illustration wise, and you're like, I kind of like that. Sometimes designers would be like, well, what do, you know, give me a few examples of things that that you like. So, so I saw his job and and I saw his style, yeah. his illustration style, and it was like, just, that's it, that's it, that's what. I, it, it was funny because I actually had a piece in my house in, mm -hmm. in one. How do you call? Uh, one quadro. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we were having the Zoom, uh, and he saw it in because it was COVID times. Yeah. And he actually looked into my, it was in my living room. Hey, that, I, I did that. Oh my <laughs> God, really? Really. <laughs> where did you get the piece? Do you remember where you bought it? Uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, so I was in this uh, vinyl club, uh -huh. like a subscription box yeah. called Faramaya. Yeah, go figure, you would receive, be, yeah. You will receive a record every oh, month. Oh, you said my vinyl? Whatever, what is that it's called? Faramaya. Okay, Faramaya. So it's based on the my vinyl. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And together with the with the record, you will receive an art piece. So normally it was uh, an illustration the mm -hmm. size of a of a vinyl yeah, record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my favorite ones, I uh, ended up um, how you call enmarcado. Um, yeah, like putting put them in, in frame. frames. Mm -hmm. And so one of so it's not the original piece; it's like an original copy sign yeah, or yeah. how that works. How we call that in English. But so, so the my favorite ones I have them like in, in on on frames on my that's so crazy. living room and yeah that was one of, well how did that you was get one it, of them. was he a friend beforehand or did you saw his work and didn't even realize you had like how did the two of you actually connect so Torreon is not a big town no and also another friend that at the beginning helped me that used to had a Sotol brand mm -hmm. told me uh, I work with him I really like what he did. Then I went through his portfolio. I really liked him. Yeah, uh, what his style and what he has, and then it, it went from there. And, and actually, we now consider him, I consider him a good friend. That's great. I mean, I love how that's because the, the the industry actually a good illustration of, of exactly that the industry of artists and of brand people. It's quite small, really. Yeah, you know, if you think about it, and that's why what was funny is so the you know Marco Cho was in town last week for Grizzly Historico doing the mm -hmm. tasting. And I knew you were in town. And in my head, I'm thinking, you know what? I bet Sergio is going to show up here. Right? <laughs> really? I did. I told told uh, Kay, who I was with, which you met. And I had no idea that was happening. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I had the list yeah. of the bars because here I didn't know. Like, I just had a list. I had an appointment at Suerte with, yeah, with yeah. Fermin, who, by the way, was super cool. Cool. Because he's from Torreon, yeah. actually. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. He's nice. a good friend of a good friend. Yeah. So he helped us connect. But that's the only appointment I had. I had three days in Austin, so I had a little a list of places, mm -hmm. and actually you helped me, like sure, yeah. complete that one. And I told you have to be there, and and uh, so it's a speakeasy in yeah. a yeah, like Mexican restaurant, yeah. and they tell me there's a private event. But I was okay. I'm just gonna squeeze yeah. myself in, and yeah. But I knew. But I, I knew was. it because well, <laughs> and that was the thing. And then again, this is really just to illustrate that it's a very small world of people that love agave. Yeah. And then Johnny's there. Johnny's a good yeah. friend, you know. And then then you, he's like, what, what, what? And it was just this like yeah. beautiful kind of connection. It was, yeah, it was. Do you do you find that happens more and more the more that you share yes. this beautiful mezcal? Yes, it's happening a lot. I'm really happy about this uh, project. This 
this mezcal connected me yeah. to really, I'm meeting my heroes oh, now. Man, so, yeah. for example, I met um, Pedro from Mesonte, uh-huh, yeah. super cool guy at Encuentros del Maestro del Mezcal. And, and they told me, ah, are you the Ultramundo guy? Yeah, I've seen that brand from, he's like, yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it feels amazing. I, I, I love that, like, that, you know, because I've, I've been in this a while and I'm, you're, I've been a businessman a long time, but maybe your mezcal journey is kind of like starting, yeah. you know, and to be able to see people that you've known like 10 years now and see them publish multiple books and stuff. It's just like really nice to see people create and produce things in, in this industry. It's really like enlightening to me. And are there any spots of production geographically that you really want to explore? You said you're going to Oaxaca in mm-hmm. September, but have you thought about it? Because it's such a different style, like again, yeah. San Luis Potosí. Have you, you think about traveling and studying each of those styles? Yeah, I, I definitely, my, so Oaxaca, I'm going for vacation. So mm-hmm. that's what I told my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm hoping to, to, to actually Is your son going to go with you? No, we're, oh. so it's our 10th anniversary. Oh. So we're spending some days in Oaxaca, just like, like a small holiday. Good, good. But I really want to explore Chihuahua next. To see I would what, love to what see Chihuahua what is doing. And then I, I want to like move geographically. Uh, and, and I know they're doing interesting things in Nuevo León, mm-hmm, even though mm-hmm. it's outside the DO area. Yes. And also I want to explore San Luis Potosí. Yeah. Because those are the agaves. I want to keep exploring Durango. Durango is still super big, and I just know just a little bit of the whole, what's happening, right. different areas in, in more remote areas. I'm in a very remote area, mm-hmm. but yeah. So Chihuahua, San Luis, Durango, and, and I think that will still give me uh, tons of yeah, stuff, tons right? stuff to see. But what I'm thinking to do with Oaxaca or Guerrero or the regions is collaborate with other maestros oh, okay. to showcase the Lamparillo because we're all about the Lamparillo that grows in, in, in our land mm-hmm. widely. And then maybe the iterations we have in mind is collaborating with different maestros using their techniques. Logistically, that will be a challenge. Yes. But it's doable. That's cool. Though. For example, we did a rabbit pechuga, mm-hmm. a collaboration with Maestro Alan Hernandez of Boscal with Lamparillo. Okay, cool. That turned out great. We have just one batch. So we're planning on doing these special batches and these special collaborations to keep it interesting because we are all about just uh, producing with what grows in our ranch. Mm-hmm. And that is Lamparillo and that is Sotol. Yeah. So the is Sotol, Sotol expression will come. That's, there's a bunch of Sotol too. Is it, would you say it's about equal? And how they grow yeah, up. Yeah, right? yeah, a bit more. I think at least what the the area of the ranch that we that we studied because you pay to study and they charge you pay hect- per mm-hmm. hectare. Mm-hmm. So we studied the areas where they were more agave. But I think I think we have a little bit more of sotol population, or the sotol population is larger than the agave. Oh wow! Okay. One. Do you know because yeah. sotol you know it keeps regenerating and it's very. St- alien plant man I, I i love it and, and hate it at the same time <laughs> but for the agave do does because i don't know this do lamparillo do they produce hijuelos lots of them they do okay a, a lot like lamparillo it, it at least in that conditions that super stressful stressful conditions mm-hmm. we have estimated somewhere around three to five per year Mm. average so a lot they end up cramping like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. making like these colonies so the only thing we're doing is the ones that are big enough and they are like beginning to get in the way of the other growing and they are clones of the mother so mm-hmm. we're just separating them that's and amazing. replanting them in, in in areas where they have more space yeah that's the only thing we're doing so far that's because cool, we, we want to keep it wild we want to keep it just self-sustainable mm-hmm. it's an they they will just that's the thing that, that I find lovely about agave is they just they thrive on their own yeah you know it's, and you kind of like don't want to even get in their way yeah at all, I'm amazed know? by this plant because they I thought they reproduced by three different means but it's five ways mm-hmm. they reproduce I don't want to get too technical but I'm discovering and and they are so badass yeah and especially in these conditions where we have and then the only plant the only varietal that grows in, in, in this desert part where we are is, is the Lamparillo. Mm. And, and I think that's for a reason because it's super cold. It almost never rains, really? but also in the winter is super cold. So the agave freezes. I, I did some experiments because also grow for hobby, like agaves mm-hmm. and succulents and cacti. And the, the espadines 
they I introduced some some varietals from Oaxaca just to see. Yeah. And the Spadines they died. They died. Right. Yeah. The, we with, had a with the freezing. Yeah, we had a freeze again this year. We had like a terrible freeze, and so I had planted hundreds of agave americana. Hmm. Um, coyote is another word for like it's an up up. Yeah, I also introduced some coyotes. Yeah, and they just died. They're, they are so weak. They're weak. That's right. They, they so call weak. them chillones. I found out in, they in Oaxaca they call it chillon, and the lamparillo is like yeah, not even bothered. The same thing with sato. Because and one of the reasons I think that's so tall. Okay, to to compare the the leaf structure, I got a picture from my friend in Oaxaca, and he sends me a picture. And he's like, "Do you know what this is?" And I go, "Well, the leaves look like so tall, but it's really long, like a, a biquiche, you know." He's like, "It's so tall, it's cuterino." I was like, "Okay, Cucharillo. but it not, but not Texas ones are round. They don't grow long like that." Yeah, and there are all these varietals. I I actually don't know exactly which varietal uh, of of the cerillion I have mm-hmm. because. I just arbitrarily were like, these are Cedrosanum, but mm-hmm. I think, and I'm, I'm gonna get scientific about it and, you know, uh, maybe bring some researches because, yeah, with we believe it's Cedrosanum, that's what they told me, but I've seen some differences. Do you, have so, you seen any of the grow, as I'm making a thing that people can't see, can you see, does some of them grow very tall, yeah. narrow? Some of the ones on the ranch, you, okay. Some of them, I've not super tall, but the, and they get a lot, they also have a lot of yuca and palmilla, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they get, like gonna keep, yeah, confused. I made that mistake a lot of times. Yeah, one's gonna. But they don't grow that tall. But sometimes, yeah, we have some like, like that, like this. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I, I'm very curious what kind of grows out there because I was always in there. There was a a pretty widespread study by by University of Texas PhD student, which demarcates <clears throat> which areas in Texas had which species. And I've only personally seen small runty Texanum when I've harvested. But apparently there's Cedrosanum, there's Leophyllum, like all of it in Texas. But I've never seen any of the the big ones. I'm kind of jealous. I got, <laughs> I, let, let me be honest. I'm kind of jealous that, you know, I want to work with these things, but I, I don't see them around that much. So when we were talking about the ranch last week, you said it gets pretty hot. Yes, it is. Would it, tell me about what it's like being at the ranch. I love different places. Is it it's hot, right? But is it is it mountainous? Is it rocky? Is it grassy? What? How would you describe it? Well, well, first it's my happy place. Yeah, like for me, it's like because it's so remote, mm-hmm. so in the middle of nowhere. But it's it's a, it, it spans for twenty four thousand acres. Twenty four thousand. So it's it's big. So we have like a quarter of it is like rocky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then there are these, there are spots that are like desert, desert, really? like super eroded, and it's just sandy. And you need to come over. I do. I need to. So I you, see you it. can see it for yourself. And then it in in the winter is cold. It changes a lot. The best is in in rain season. Uh-huh. The smell because we have. Oh, are you familiar with this plant, Gobernadora? No. What is that? It's I don't know. I, I will let you know. You the show me a picture. Of it, it, yeah. It's a bush. That oh, is it creosote? Is that what we call it here? What's the name? Creosote. Maybe. It's like a gray, kind of grayish, or is it really green? The one no, I'm it's, thinking it's, of. It's green and it has a yellow flower. It flowers in oh, the. Oh, diff- that's different. That's different. And when it's, there's humidity, it just, all the ranch smells like that. Oh, and it's wow. the best smell in the world. That's amazing. And yeah, it's in, and also super clear skies. We have no uh, light pollution because we're so remote. Mm. So the stargazing in the night, like, I, I, I go and just stare at the. Stars, the Milky Way shows all the way. Oh, that's incredible. It's super nice. And so I, I guess in the summer is when it's worse, like it's just super hot. Right. But then uh, after September, after rains, it's, it's, it's quite nice and it gets greener. Yeah. Because it rains uh, sometimes. And but yeah, it's, it's, it looks, it should look maybe like the south of Texas if yeah, you want to compare it to something. Thinking, right? It's part of the Chihuahuan Desert. So yeah. Durango, most of the state, it's a big state. Most of the state is like mountains mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, more like forest ecosystem. Mm-hmm. But there's this small patch at the northwest mm-hmm. that touches uh, Coahuila and Chihuahua. That is actually where the Chihuahuan Desert begins. That's where it goes all, all the way up to, to Texas, West Texas, Arizona, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Arizona, Mexico. A little, little bit of New Mexico too. Yeah. Oh, that's fabulous! I didn't realize that. So yeah, it's 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 desert basically. Well, with those clear, because I saw this somewhere when someone was writing about Utramundo, and this might have been something you you gave as like a marketing thing. But 
people see a lot of UFOs out there? Well, that, there's the, that's the Sun El Silencio, and that's where the naming and, and kind of the inspiration for the branding. And, and But yeah, there's a lot of stories. There are some events that actually happened, uh -huh. not UFOs uh -huh. that were still confirmed. There are a lot of urban legends. But Sun El Silencio is in the Mapimi municipality, where, where the ranch is. That actually is inside a natural protected area. So that's like the serious part of mm -hmm. of the Sonal Silencio thing. The silent zone will be or mm -hmm. the yes. zone so of silence. Yeah. And yeah, it so back in the day the when you know uh, technology was not that advanced, radios didn't work. So that's where the name came from. And then like the Bermuda the, Triangle kind of thing? Yeah, and, and the compasses will all get crazy. There was this magnetism there. Uh-huh. And in the 1960s, uh, when the, the NASA were, was doing the test uh, rocket uh -huh. ships for the for the first mission to the moon, mm -hmm. one of them, they were doing these uh, tests that were supposed to land in White Sands. Yeah. One of them was lost, lost course, and crashed in the silent zone. No way! So that's when the legend like really came to life, because actually NASA people came all the way down there. They built a railroad from Escalon, from 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 uh, Mapimi to uh -huh. the to the actual site because so that's where the like the official version is well the real version is that the it was powered by um, um, what's the name uh, nuclear um, oh nuclear radioactive material co cobalt seventy uh -huh. so the 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 official story is that they they had to remove all the all the rest on. And also because, you know, it's the middle of the race to the moon with the Russians. Mm -hmm. So they want to make sure they capture all the fragments. So no one can take it no and can copy see. it and stuff. Right? So from there, the urban legends begin, the aliens and UFOs and stuff. No, but that really dude, happened. That's so cool. I had and, no idea. And, and some other, like, yeah, there's a lot of, like, if you Google it, you'll find some crazy stories. Have you? Okay. Because I've, I've, you know, I was born in Roswell. Okay. We know about so you're familiar well, to the UFO. <laughs> and lately, you, you, you have well, this is what I'm going to ask you about. Yeah. It's, <laughs> well, so it's funny because, you know, like stuff's being declassified here in the United States <laughs> and there's like more information about it. But I do make a joke that if any alien stuff's going down, they'll give me a call first, right? Because like, <laughs> I'm, I'm a part, part of the whole thing. Okay. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I'm going to say it's true. But have you had any kind of experiences seeing things or really like close contact with? unidentified flying objects and stuff out there just a meteor so i've seen three meteors oh cool like one in the actual so this the zona del silencio is like 50 kilometers away from the ranch we are not in the oh, okay. zona del silencio we're in the area mm -hmm. so one I, I i have i go camping and i camped there a couple of times and one of them i saw like this green meteorite it was the first time yeah in my life seeing that that was amazing and you know like kind of a lightning, a lightning that all the it becomes like day for a for a second yeah. and, and it just disappears. Wow. It was green, and then in the back in the ranch, two times I, I've seen other two meteors in the same direction. Really, where the Sona del Silencio is, like, and all in the same, like, kind of the Ultramundo logo, like uh -huh. just like that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, now this makes more sense. So there's also that's another thing that happens in Sona del Silencio. You can find a lot of meteorites. Really. That's so yeah. cool. I, I had, so there's <clears> something <throat> special. It's very, and you said only about place. 50 kilometers from from the ranch. Yeah. How big is that area then, from the El Silencio? So it's it's uh, it's not very clear where it's actually the zona El Silencio, but it is inside the natural protected area okay. that is called the Reserva de la Biosfera de Mapimi. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea, but it's big. I, I will, really big. I, I will, bigger I will, than the ranch? Yeah, much, much oh, bigger. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's a big, big, like thousands and thousands of hectares. In, in that? Of desert. Of desert, okay. And that is, like, the Sonal Sinistro is like desert, desert, like dunes, sand dunes in some in some areas. Really? Like, yeah. So that's what we would kind of, like, Sahara desert. Some some patches, some some areas of it like, are like that. Really? And some with with a lot of Lamparillo. Yeah, and with <laughs> no, no kidding. With Nopal. We have purple Nopales. That's uh -huh. also super cool. That's very cool. And, and a, a lots of gobernadoras. Wow. That yeah. this this bush because there's all this biodiversity among it the desert turtles that is featured in the label mm -hmm. there's a reason behind that but um, it's a it's quite magical place it's it's a desert but it's i find it beautiful how do you get out there do you just take a like you get this nice four-wheel drive truck you just is that can you take that out there or do you have to do like hiking or 
No, you, you can go in the truck, but actually you will have to ask for permission oh. because it's a natural protected oh, area. Biosphere, yeah. And it's it, it's administered, it's managed by the ejidatarios of La Flor. So we have to check in with them mm. because a lot of people get lost. Oh, okay. Because it's so remote and, and, and in rain season, it happens to us once it rains and, and the dirt becomes mud, like, like bad. Wow, so we inescapable, I imagine, yeah, right? That happened to us once and we learned it the hard way. Wow. So normally you have to check in with them and they will give you a tour. We, you are actually not allowed to to stay to camp in the silent zone. Oh. But we're lucky enough to go with the director of the natural protected area because we are actually uh, donating part of our profits for a conservation program for the desert tortoise. So oh, we're wow. doing kind of scouting. We went with him. Super strict rules. Yeah, yeah. But normally you are you are able to camp in the like in the edge in the uh -huh. boundaries of the silent zone. Of the because of the natural protected area part, yeah, and just for safety. That's a, I, I love that. Well, because so, you know, sometimes our perceptions about Mexico is it's like it's not you know it's dangerous and it's like dirty and there's all this bullshit. I know, yeah. that, right? But when you talk about this this beautiful biosphere and things are being protected and the, this massive desert, it's just like so romantic sounding to me. It, it's yeah. so diverse because you you go to Oaxaca, it's it's super different. Yeah. And then you go oh, to yeah. the coast, you go to Riviera Maya, you go to to the Huasteca, you go to, and yeah, it's 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 very diverse and it has a beauty on it, a different beauty. Right. Most right. people associate Mexico, or for example, in, in the Mezcal scene to mm -hmm. Oaxaca. Mm -hmm. And that's for a reason that they are the ones that actually put it out there in the map. Yeah. And it's becoming like the cultural, artistic, a very important cultural, artistic pole for, for the country. Yeah. But also we have a lot of beauty in, in the north, in Durango, in, in Coahuila, and I'm I really proud that. of it. and. And also, that's one of the motivations behind this project, just generating awareness that there's also this beautiful area of Mexico that has an interesting story to tell. Mm. The So I was curious when we were talking about La Laguna, right, that region, but mm -hmm. Torreón, is that right? Where yeah, Torreón. Uh, but that's a, you said, a small city. So, yeah, it's not a big town, but it's the bigger of the three main cities that make La Laguna. Got it, okay. And so... What I, what I really love, so let's say in, in the United States, right? So in Texas, really big, right? So if you go east mm. in Texas, you reach a whole different kind of culture. Yeah. A different kind of people. I don't know if you've been to Louisiana yet. Yes. Okay. Just went through there. But yeah. like di different kinds of books, yeah. right? And it's just as you kind of move. Is there or are there distinct personalities or cultures in La Laguna, given it's three different states? Or is it more just like a Norteño kind of vibe in la laguna we call ourselves laguneros okay, like we, yeah. we really feel and we all feel like the same like it's the like same culture to, to, to united right we sometimes make fun of the guys in gomez and lerdo <laughs> but it's just like but we, we consider ourselves more than from coahuila or from durango we consider ourselves from la laguna oh that's amazing so in that case the football team it's, it's Santos from, Laguna. Got it, okay. And the baseball team is Union Laguna. Oh. So it's, you know, it's for us, it's the, the city is La Laguna. I love that. Is there a university there? Yeah. Yeah. So Torreón is, is for the size of the of the town, is, is has a lot of universities. So there's uh, Tec de Monterrey campus. Where That's I where I you studied, went, right? Yeah. Some private schools and also a bunch of also public schools and universities i love it because again you know people think that mexico is just like this one single culture that's how i was asking no. I was like no man the, not at all and no. i love that because it's just as diverse as the, the united states are yeah it's just as divided in certain ways as the united states is ah, and it's not as showcased because again you will find like normally americans most of them and they will go to riviera maya that is yeah. beautiful yeah but that's just something that's a a very specific spot or, or Baja, but if you go to Mexico City, you go to Guadalajara, yeah, different. You go yeah. to Monterrey, you will find different looking people, different accents, different mm -hmm. cultures, different food, different everything. Even for example, in a state like Oaxaca, each region is oh, different. Totally different. They yeah. they they speak different languages. Mm -hmm. You know, pre-Hispanic like Zapotec, Zapotec and... uh, Nahuatl, mm -hmm. Mixteco, and you can find more definitely more um, richness pre pre-colonial richness in the center and south yeah because those were actually the most fertile and best actually spots to stay yeah N not not much the of the people were not interested in the desert in the north so that's where we yeah 
end up. That's fun. I, I love ended that. up. And so you did say that. Well, one one I want to talk about the, this lamprey real quick because I've had lamprey before. And when we first started talking, you've had it. Like yeah, um, it might have very well been made by Alberto. I don't. I'm not sure. Not not. There are not many maestros doing lamparillo. It's because, because it's tough to work with the low yield and all. Of so that. it's it's a rare occurring plant in the main mezcal producing areas, say Nombre de Dios. Mm -hmm. But also uh, it's tough in the fermentation. It's yeah. if if you don't know what you're doing, you can mess up the whole batch. How big are the plants? Like just like if they're big and trimmed, with like a basketball size. Yeah. So the piñas average will be like twenty kilos. Oh, Jesus. Twenty five kilos. Yeah. yeah, like a like a basketball yeah sometimes sometimes larger sometimes smaller but around that With average stylistically and i don't usually get this much detail but i'm actually really curious because I, lo I love the way this tastes because it's equally sweet and peppery and there's coffee notes and stuff it's like it's tastes like it's dry but it shimmers with brightness and acidity so it, it makes me think like this place must be beautiful because <laughs> it it tastes like this plant went through some shit you know what yeah. i mean yeah yeah and it and it does so this this plant takes like 20 years to reach maturity wow. in the desert and it looks like so, like kind of a crossbreed between lamparillo between salmiana and mm. cenizo oh okay but okay. a smaller version yeah like a tinier like a smaller version of this combination some look more like towards the cenizo part yeah and something very particular about this agave, actually the scientific name is Asperrima. Asperrima, oh, okay. From, because it's aspers, is that a word in English? Aspero? Asper, as, uh, I think so, I have to look. So in it. Spanish or Latin, is aspero means like uh, like sandpaper film. So if you okay. touch the, the back of the leaf, uh -huh. you will see like this sandpaper texture. yeah. So that's, I guess, the no, that's that's why it's named Asperima. that way. Asperrima, oh, And that, that doesn't... Neither the Ceniso or the Salmiana have this trait. Wow. And I know that with many tapestates, given they're so old, that the, the fibrous material that many of the maestros will leave a lot of penca when they chop it, right? Yeah. Uh, given the age and probably the rigidity, as you're talking about, or the leaves itself, when you all chop it down, is it you leave a bit of penca on it? Yeah. I figure well, you have to, right? And you can profile it, like the profile begins there. You, you have different notes yeah. with the amount of penca you leave. And actually, it's it's a stiff penca. Mm -hmm. We don't use coas. They don't do it. They won't, We need to use axes. Really? And a special uh, manufacturer axe uh -huh. from out of uh, plowing discs yeah. that has like this super tough steel. So there's a, there are some artisans that, that make especially the the, the the pencas the the sorry the axes to mm -hmm. they're able to cut the pencas oh man that's incredible i love that you have to show me a picture of that because that's that's the thing that a lot of people don't realize and that's what another thing i love about the regional differences right you can't harvest i mean you can but you can't really harvest sotol with a koa and trim it with a koa like you can with an agave because the leaves are so much different and they're, yeah. they're more moisture you know so and, and that's just another like really beautiful thing about the just slight differences and how the agave are across the regions based on what that the shit they had to go through yeah, yeah and the shit they go through and also what we need to do to harvest that and to make that mezcal is very different to what you can do with espadin mm -hmm. or with tequilana very so yeah they had to come up with their own tools invent their own tools to to make it yeah. to make something out of it i love that so we've been talking about sotol a lot you know behind the curtains here before we recorded mm -hmm. When are you planning on having a sotol ready? So hopefully by the end of this year. Yeah. And I have, I have some technical questions for you. Okay, after, yeah, of course. For the interview. But yeah, we're hoping before the end, before the year ends, we have a sotol expression out That's there. That's incredible. From, from the ranch, from Pelayo Ranch. Do you have a preference with the profile of sotol versus agave? Or you like kind of all of them for different reasons? Like compared to each other? Yeah. It's 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 different. I I, I love both of them, mm -hmm. but I'm I I'm uh, at this point I'm, and I think I haven't tried as much sotoles I have tried agaves. I see. So that's why also I want to do this like Keep that Chihuahua into. journey. Yeah. And 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 see, but I've tried some amazing stuff. I, love I that. really like the, really like it. Well, one of the, the other things I really wanted to talk to you about because I got to come down to the ranch anyway. Yeah. We will do. I'd love that. But. We have similar music tastes, which I, I quite like. Okay. And 
I think one of the things that you mentioned was Interpol, right? Yeah. It's one of your... You've gotten a chance to see them, right? Oh, yeah, you told me you saw Yeah, in, in, in Pal Norte Festival uh-huh. in Monterrey. Like, no, Live Out Festival in Monterrey, like three years ago. Yeah. Or four, I don't recall. Well, these last years have been blurry, that's for sure. Yeah. Do you <laughs> seek out live music? I mean, we've talked, not even intentionally, but we talked about live music twice now. And yeah. I just imagine it's something that, that, does it make you, is it something you need to do? Yes. I try to do is, is I don't, get it as much as I would like because in yeah. Torreón the bands I like they oh, don't right. they yeah. don't tour Torreón so I'll have to go to Monterrey or to Guadalajara mm-hmm. or to Mexico City and what I end up doing is going to festivals because then you can catch Ton like many band. bands so it's good in a side because you can see like lots of bands but yeah. you don't get to see like the real show I know yeah. of, of the band but yeah like um, the lineup for, for Corona Capital in Mexico City just mm-hmm. came out and it's really impressive who's, who's headlining? Well, it's Arcid Fire. Oh, uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on Friday. Uh-huh. So you have like a headliner every day. Like yeah. it's it's massive. And I'm just interested in on Friday. Yeah. There are also bands that I like in the Saturday because it's three days. Mm-hmm. But I I think and I hope my work and everything allows me to to go to at least on Friday catch Arcid Fire. It's gonna be I think Crumbig. Oh, those guys well, I need to check, but I, there are a bunch of That's bands that, Friday's the day. That, that I like. Yeah, for me. For, yeah. Well, I love, I mean, you ever, you've heard of the ACL Fest that's here too? I haven't. I'm I'm hoping to, to go. I've never been to ACL. Maybe this is a year. Mars Volta's I've, I, I've been telling year. that for many years. Wow, it's coming to ACL? Yeah, they're playing the Friday, actually. I, I actually don't want to see the lineup because it will just get me mad that I <laughs> can't be here. But I hope but, this year is a year or maybe but, next the, the good thing is, is that, and I kind of look at it this way, when, so when, when my gin is on a menu, right? Mm-hmm. I'm only going because I'm supporting my business, right? So I was mm-hmm. like, well, half of this meal or whatever the tax break is on, on meals. So you could just do an in-market, right? And then you could say, well, all of the, the gas and everything, and all the travel expenses, you write those off and then you go to ACL. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking about. <laughs> that, that's the way it, it will happen and I think, yeah, and it's making sense because I might be back in October. Oh, good. So this year might be the year. And then it won't be 100 degrees out. It'll I hope. Nice weather in October, typically. We're, we're used to hot weather, yeah. so to dry hot weather, mm-hmm. not just to... For me, this, this weather is nice, but in the beach. Oh, yeah. In yeah, a swim right. with a cold beer. Exactly. <laughs> not, not in the middle of a, yeah. a, a city with a bunch of tall buildings and yeah. stuff. Yeah, I totally agree with you. All right, so I got... One question left for you, and this is something I ask everybody. I'm not trying to stump you. I hope you find it fun. So let's say you're anywhere in the world, doesn't matter where, and you're sipping your lamp review with any musician, living or deceased, mm-hmm. who might you like to sit down and drink with? Wow. It'll be hard to pick one. Sure. Impossible, probably. Yeah. You know, it actually won't be a musician, but it will be... Are you familiar with Rick, Ro- Rick Rubin? Yeah, of course. I think I would like to... He looks like a great guy to have a talk. And, and then I discovered most of my favorite albums. He produced them. He yeah. produced them. So I think... And I relate... And he says he's not... In, he doesn't know music. As I consider myself, I love music, but I don't know to play an instrument. I used to play yeah. drums, so I'm really bad at it. But I think... I, 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 I'm thinking and I'm really fascinated. I mean watching some interviews so yeah. i think i will have a nice time oh, with some skylars with him i love that <laughs> i learned something about he, he just put out a book right yeah it's in my readings now and i i don't i'm not an avid reader you know i admit this to folks i i'm consuming things often to learn but i don't to me reading a book is like well i gotta get it done then and i'll just mm-hmm. obsessively finish it and then i you know i just i can't i can't do it so then other people read books right <laughs> they, they can tell me about it i'll watch the movies and tell them <laughs> but he said something that I find really interesting, and I think this this kind of common thread of, of not getting a signal, right? Yeah. Sound like connecting like to the source kind of uh, thing. The source, yes. Just this thing that's around us. Yeah. Whether it's the and I I don't care how this sounds, but whether it's the energy from the plants because they have energy energy from nature or whatever. But he said that when you're in the creative process, now it doesn't just apply to that, but it's not, the creative process is not about you putting out your thoughts. It's not about that. It's about being receptive to yeah, all the thoughts around exactly. you. 
It's just being that. able to capture that that is already there. That's right. Waiting for you. That's right. And being yeah. like in the right mood and being in the right mindset. Yes. To receive that. I love that. And right. it just gets that. So yeah, that's the kind of conversation I would really like to have with I love him that. to elaborate for him to elaborate more on this. Yeah. And maybe some Lamparillo will well, help. I, I bet he would if he'd ask you questions so artfully about you know he's a yeah. quite a good interviewer too. All right. So last bit. There's been a really nice Texas tour for you. You've been to Dallas. You're heading to San Antonio next. Yeah. Right? I, I, so after Austin, I did Houston, Dallas. Now I'm going to San Antonio today, later today, and then back to Torreon. Wow. For a nine-hour drive. It's waiting for me. Is it a pretty drive? Yeah, it's not bad. Like the Cuatro Cienegas, Piedras Negras part, actually, that's one of the nicest places of Coahuila, Cuatro yeah. Cienegas. It's, it's not bad. It's, it's cool. Good. Well, I'm glad we got introed by Lou. I'm glad that we're sitting and talking. I'm glad we got to sit more mezcal last week as well. So Sergio, it's been just a pleasure, man. Obviously, we got to keep in touch. You got to let me know when you're in town. And Thank you, man. I got to come visit. I appreciate it. I'm really happy to, to be here. Yeah. Muchas gracias. Cheers. Well, there we have it. Sergio Garnier of Ultramundo Mezcal. Amazing chats. I get to drink a little bit with him the week previously. He's been really, really running around Texas trying to spread this amazing mezcal and sharing with everybody. And again, like, it's just symbolic. Like, he and I wouldn't have met. I wouldn't have been able to share some of the things that I've distilled. He wouldn't have been able to share this amazing Lamparillo with me had it not been from other people in the industry, you know? And it's, I just finished recording the interview with Dalton Kreese, you know? And one of the older Megay Malate releases was Ultramundo. So, like, this is a very small world. These two people know each other, and they're here in my house sitting in a chair. I mean, this is, like, the height of privilege. Let me just be honest about it. So I'm always so enamored with the people that I get to interview. And honestly, it's a life-changing thing. You've heard me say this before, but I'm different now. I've been doing this thing like before too long. It's going to be like 10 years and that's a long time. So, you know, I appreciate everybody tuning in. And I think this is an especially great chat. And I cannot wait to make it out to this ranch in Durango. Look at Torreon and Coahuila. Apparently some bustling mezcalerias out there as well. So things are happening. Mezcal is growing. And this community is very, very vibrant. So thanks everybody for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how many times you look at this Miguel Malate shirt that's sitting on a chair in your recording studio and think, I probably should wear that or at least take it into my bedroom and wash it. Or if you're thinking, you know, I've got this Mictors 20 year. Everybody wants to try it. I just don't care. I really don't. Please. Keep dancing.